I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we get to celebrate this day with you. I'm glad that Jesus is alive. I mean, if we, if we didn't say anything else, that's enough. But we're going to get into the Word anyway. So if you have your Bible or if you have a device, I'm going to have you open up to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 this morning and make that the foundation for our, our study this morning, our, our message of hope, of life, of truth. And so go ahead and, and, and get ready to go. Matthew 28, 1 through 10, and it's going to be up on the screen as well. But before we get into that, before we read, I kind of want to bring us back to some context. Bring us back to what we were just talking about on Friday. And if you've been with us from the beginning of our Easter series, we started at the end of March and we, we kind of laid the foundation of now understanding why Jesus came, why he temporarily gave up his heavenly throne to come down and to live his life and to sacrifice his life for us to suffer and die. But all of scripture spoke to that from the beginning of time. All of scripture from what we have now, the Old Testament through the New, speaks to our coming King and that he did. Jesus then revealed through his life and his ministry on multiple occasions that he would have to suffer and die. We looked at that on Friday, what we call Good Friday. But now that his earthly ministry was coming to an end, many still, dot, still did not understand. His own disciples still did not understand or they weren't paying attention to all the things that Jesus was saying about why he would have to suffer and die. And so he entered Jerusalem five days prior to his death as our misunderstood king. And then last week, we, or I'm sorry, this, this past Friday, a couple days ago, we pointed out the fact that he did in fact fulfill that promise, fulfill everything that scripture had spoken of about what he would do and why he would do it. And so he went to the cross to be torn apart, to suffer and die as our crucified king. But that's the beauty of it. We wouldn't be standing here today, celebrating today, worshiping today, praising today, if the story ended on the cross. It didn't. Jesus' promise came true. And on this day, Easter morning, we now look at the pivotal event, <clears throat> the centerpiece of recorded history, the centerpiece of our lives that nobody else had done in all of history. Nobody else can lay a claim to the fact that the leader of their religion, their belief system, suffered and died for love for their people, for all of humanity, and then defeated death on the third day and rose again. That's reserved for Jesus. So we look at this morning at the resurrection of Jesus, our risen King. And so again on Friday, right after his death, Jesus hanging on the cross, those that were present there, we need to kind of point out something. There were a few that were there with him at the cross at his death. Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, Salome, the mother of Jesus, Mary, even one of his disciples came back and was with him. According to John 19, it was the disciple John. And why it's important to point that out for a specific reason is this. It's important to note those that were at his death that witnessed him suffer that witnessed him die at the hands of the Romans. They were there that witnessed that spear be driven into his side. 
eventually would pierce his heart and he would give up his final breath when he we spoke about on Friday, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he, he died. And to ensure that death, the Romans pierced his side. And so there was no doubt Jesus was dead at that moment. <clears throat> but it would be some of those same individuals that would witness him coming down and being taken down from the cross with Joseph of Arimathea who went to Pilate and asked to have rights to the body to give him a proper burial. And we even see another Pharisee that had approached Jesus early in his ministry come out of the shadows and help him with that, Nicodemus. If you remember that story in John chapter 3, it was Jesus and Nicodemus that met and we get the famous conversation that leads to the most famous verse John 3.16, but so Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus wrapped Jesus properly and lay him in a tomb not far from the site of his death. But it was at that site then that Mary Magdalene, according to Matthew chapter 27, verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. So they were there witnessing his death. They were there witnessing Jesus being placed into the tomb. And it would be those same women who would be the first to arrive the following morning, or excuse me, Sunday morning, a couple days later, to see the empty tomb. But it would take both the religious elite, the Roman government, to carry out the death of Jesus, as we saw. And now both would work to secure his death. The Pharisees went to Pilate and said, hey, Jesus spoke about many times that he was going to rise on the third day, so we need to do everything that we possibly can to ensure that he stays dead, stays in the tomb. And so they asked for uh, some guards, and so Pilate uh, granted them some Roman guards to go and, and, and stand guard at the tomb. But he said, also, make it as secure as you want. And so they went and placed a seal which tradition tells us is kind of a wax seal with rope that if that it's like an envelope, if that envelope is broken, the seal is broken, you know that that letter had been opened. And so this wax seal on the tomb was, was placed there. So there was a wax seal. There was already religious and political condemnation and death. There was now a Roman guard, at least four that we know of, placed at the tomb, doing everything they possibly could to ensure that Jesus was dead and would stay there. But it's interesting to note, isn't it, in that moment that it was the Pharisees, the chief priests, that were the ones that remembered Jesus' words about rising on the third day. His disciples didn't hear that. His disciples only focused on the fact that when Jesus said he would have to suffer and die, their ears shut off at that point. They didn't hear all the, the promises that he would rise again, that he would rise on the third day. You know, you might even say that the disciples had selective listening. In fact, when I was growing up, my dad would, would say that to me all the time. Son, I think you've got selective listening because you didn't quite hear everything I told you. <laughs> and it's probably true. Sometimes we only hear what we want to hear, right? And, and so in the case of these disciples, they, they only heard what they wanted to hear. And, and the moment that Jesus spoke of his death, they shut their ears down because that's all they focused on. Because wouldn't it be true that with somebody that you love, somebody you've been following, somebody you've been dedicating your life with tells you they're going to die, I don't think you'd hear anything else. So I don't necessarily blame the disciples. I don't point a finger at the disciples. But then when you look at the Pharisees, the chief priests, the religious elite of the day who, 
who are the ones that heard that he would rise on the third day. He, he spoke multiple times about his resurrection. They heard that because Jesus was such a threat to who they were that they wanted to keep tabs on that and do everything they could to make sure that he was, in fact, dead and stayed dead. So let's take a look at this story this morning. So if you're in Matthew chapter 28, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to continue on with our study. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So it's a, it's a quick glimpse into the most amazing story that's ever happened in the history of mankind. But when we look at this story, there's some things we really want to point out. One, again, going back to verse 1, said, After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. Now, the reason they were going to the tomb is they wanted to anoint Jesus. They were bringing spices to anoint his body, and, and that was their way in their era, in their, in their time, to anoint the body, dead bodies, with, with spices and oils, perfume, so to speak, so... It would kind of offset the, 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 the stench of, of decomposition. And so they were going to the tomb fully expecting to find a dead Jesus. They were even expecting and wondering who was going to open the tomb for them. They, they saw, they witnessed that, that stone be rolled in front of the tomb and sealed. And, and so they were wondering who's going to open it for us. But as we move on in verses 2 through 4, again, it says, And behold, in a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. You know, it's interesting that if we go back to the very beginning of Jesus' life, at the announcement of Jesus' birth, it was an angel and a heavenly host of angels that would announce his birth. And now we have one, and according to the other Gospels, we had two announcing his resurrection. But in almost every circumstance of an angel appearing, those that witness them are afraid. They're frightened. You can only imagine what an angel must look like, a, a sight to behold. And, and we just get a short glimpse here of, of what that was like, of, of, of pure white and, and, and as bright as, as lightning. So you can imagine, you can't even look at an angel. But, but in this case, the Roman guards that were there were so afraid that they actually fainted. It says they were found like dead men. And so when the women approach, they see an angel sitting on the stone rolled away, an open tomb, and, and, and Roman guards on the ground fainted like they weren't even moving. 
And the beautiful thing about this is the angel immediately reassures the Marys and those that were there, saying, do not be afraid. He reassures them and reminds them that Jesus said he would rise on the third day. And so I want to take us back really quick and take a look at four of those examples just in the book of Matthew. They'll be up on the screen here. Matthew 16, verse 21 says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus was already speaking of his resurrection. But again, the disciples, they didn't hear that. Matthew chapter 17, verse 23 says, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. Moving forward in Matthew chapter 20, verse 19, it says, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And just before Jesus is arrested, and sentenced to death just before going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Jesus is with his disciples, and on the way, he says one more time in Matthew chapter 26, verse 32, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So four times in the, in the final portion of Jesus' ministry with his disciples, he declares, I'm going to rise again. He even tells them, I'm going to rise on the third day. So you can imagine the disciples, had they been listening they would have been counting the time, counting the days, ready to greet him, but they didn't hear those words. They walked away from that cross defeated. They walked away from that cross upset and sorrowful, locking themselves in their room for fear that maybe they would be next. But here's the beautiful picture. Here's the beautiful thing that these women, so faithful to Jesus, who were at his feet when he died, at his aside when he was being placed in the tomb and now again the first to arrive at the tomb on day three the beautiful picture is what we see about that open tomb because on friday when jesus breathed his last and and gave up his spirit and died another great earthquake had occurred and we talked about that on friday that the temple veil this 60 foot by 20 foot Thick as a palm veil was torn from top to bottom. And it was that symbolic gesture of, of God opening the way so we could enter into his presence through the blood and sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ. And, and now three days later, what do these women, the first ones to arrive, get to do? They get to walk right in, unencumbered, to a wide open tomb into where Jesus was. However... I want to make very clear this stone wasn't rolled back so jesus could leave the angel didn't assist jesus in needing to roll the stone back jesus could have done that on his on his own in fact what we're told in in scripture in, in the book of john chapter 20 verse 19 that in his resurrected state jesus was unencumbered by barriers unencumbered by walls he didn't need them in john 20 verse 19 it says and on the evening of that day the first day of the week so here, this day, Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, in, in their time, the disciples are, are, are in a room and, and the doors are locked and they've shut themselves up because they're sorrowful and they're sad and they're depressed and they're scared, again, thinking that they might be next. And it says, in the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. He didn't unlock the door. They weren't going to open that door for anybody, but... In his resurrected state, Jesus is unencumbered by barriers. 
And so that, that stone wasn't rolled away for Jesus' sake. It was rolled away for these eyewitnesses to walk right into the tomb and see that it was, in fact, empty. But here's the thing. The invitation to see the place where he lay is appropriately addressed to the same people that had watched his body being deposited. So there is no possibility of a mistake. You see, that, that's what was said about this occurrence and why we mentioned the women that were at his feet when he died, the women that were by his side when he was deposited and put into the tomb and the stone covered, now are the same women that would walk in and see he's not there. There's no mistaking that Jesus rose from the dead. The angel even tells them where to find Jesus. He, the angel tells them, go tell the other disciples to go to Galilee. Again, just affirming what Jesus had told them just a few nights ago. So God does not make it difficult for us to find Jesus, to find himself, does he? Every time that Jesus comes onto the scene, he's announced. John the Baptist announced his arrival. All the scripture announced his arrival. When he was born, the heavenly host announced his arrival. And upon his resurrection from the dead, an angel again announces his resurrection. So Jesus... Whenever he comes on the scene, he'll be announced. He's known. God always give the, gives the coordinates as to where he's going to be. Kind of a spiritual GPS, so to speak. That, And we're going we're to look at that in just a little bit. But here the angel is telling the women, go and tell the disciples, Jesus is going to be in Galilee. So there was no question as to where he was. The fact that they were going to be able to see him again. But for us, in our case, it's up to us to open our eyes and, and open our ears to, to what we're being told about Jesus Christ, what we're, what we're reading about this event that all of human history points to. Because everything leading up to this point spoke of this happening, and everything that happens after this point has altered the course of human history. So as we move on in our scripture in verses 8 through 10, it says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So I want to again bring us back to the ease of, of what it is to find Jesus. And I want to kind of look at two different stories from the book of Luke. From Luke's account, if we go back to the very beginning of Jesus' birth and the announcement of Jesus, we see something interesting in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. When the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field, the heavenly host said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So even in that moment at the arrival and birth of Jesus in, in human form, when he was born in Bethlehem, lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, the heavenly host, the angels declared to those shepherds saying, he's here. But not just that, the angels told them exactly where to find him. It goes on to say that the, the angels told them that he would be in the city of David in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, so very specific coordinates as to where they needed to go to be able to see Jesus. And then it goes on in that story in Luke chapter 2 and says the shepherds went in haste. Not a word we usually use today, but it means they were hurrying, if not running, because of what they had just witnessed. 
and where they were told to go. They already had it in their heart that this could be the Messiah, the coming king, the one they've been waiting for. And so they went to Bethlehem in haste, running to find and see Jesus. And then <clears throat> as they saw Jesus before their eyes, they then couldn't help but go and tell other people about what they had just seen. So they went and told everyone they could. And the people that they told wondered at the things that the, the shepherds were telling them about this, this baby. But these shepherds went and told everybody that they could. But it's interesting to note that the people who had wondered at the news about the arrival of Jesus as a baby, that word wondered is marveled. It's praise. It's amazement. And so when the shepherds actually returned, they returned back to the manger and they glorified and praised God because they believed in their heart that this was the Messiah and worshiped him as king. So now let's move forward just 33, 34 years. Something very similar is about to occur as we just read. So upon the arrival of the women at the tomb, they're met by angels. This time the angels aren't speaking to shepherds, they're speaking to some of Jesus' disciples, these women. Same instruction, hey, do, don't be afraid. Because of, of what they said, which is amazing, what do the, the angels say to the shepherds? I bring you glad tidings of, of great joy, something that's going to be for all people. And here the angel meeting Mary Magdalene and the other Mary at the tomb on Sunday morning said almost the same thing. But he instructs them. He says, come and see where he lay. So they could walk into the tomb and see that Jesus wasn't there. So as the shepherds then got the news and, and went and found out where Jesus was and, and, and ran to go see him here, the women are able to now go into the tomb and, and see that he's not there. But then the angel also instructs them one more time saying, go and tell the disciples. And it says there at that point that the women run with fear and great joy because of the news that they had just received, that they go and tell the disciples what they had seen. They couldn't help but run, couldn't help but have this, this moment of joy in, in, their, in their life. And, and prior to getting the disciples, we, we read that they meet Jesus. But before that, when the, the women re reach the disciples, the other, the other 10 or so disciples at that time, what we read in Luke 24 is that when they told them all that they had seen and witnessed, the angels and the empty tomb and the stone rolled away, maybe even the guards on the ground like dead men fainted because of their fear. In Luke 24, verses 11 and 12, it says, But these words seemed to them all an idle tale, that they did not believe the women. It says, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. And we know from the, uh, John's account that John went with them. In fact, John a lot faster than Peter, actually outran Peter and got to the tomb first. But, but here it says that Peter ran to the tomb, stooping in and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had just happened. So if we go back, when the shepherds went and told everybody else about what they had just seen and witnessed, said the people wondered. That same exact term is now used after Peter witnessed the empty tomb. He went home marveling, amazed, praising God, and, and, and maybe even 
with fear and joy again at what was taking place. But then we read that Jesus meets the women and they grab onto his feet and begin to worship him. So when the shepherds returned, they got on their knees, at least how I envision it, praising and worshiping God. And here the women meet Jesus and he reveals himself to them and they grab onto his feet and begin to worship him because of obviously who he is and what had just happened. So we see two things taking place here, two instructions that are given to people regarding Jesus. One, we're told exactly where Jesus is. And even given an invitation to come and see. Today we have that invitation in the Word of God, the full account of God's Word before us to come and see for ourselves who this Jesus is. And we're even told in this instruction book here that we even know where He is currently. But then the second set of instructions is to go and tell. That for those of us that believe in Jesus Christ as the risen Savior, our risen King in glory, to go and tell, how can we not but go and tell others who Jesus is, what He's done, so they can experience the same hope of salvation that we have? But here's the thing, before we bring this to a conclusion, it really comes down to proof, doesn't it? That a 2,000-year-old story just may not seem to make sense or it may lose some of its facts over time. But, but here's, here's the proof. In fact, uh, Donald Hagner said this about proof of Jesus' resurrection. He said, The empty tomb for all of its impressiveness and importance is not sufficient evidence enough in itself for the resurrection. Because what a lot of people have said through time and, and will even point out in the immediate Lies were already starting to be told about the empty tomb. That people were paid off to say Jesus, his disciples, rolled away the tomb and, and, and stole Jesus' body. And that's a lie that has been told throughout the last 2,000 years. Some people still believe it. But if you take a look at the facts, if you take a look at the historical evidence of what took place, are you telling me that for 2,000 years, people have sat on the same lie, misguided, and have been sacrificing their life, laying down their life for what they believe in? I don't think so. So if the empty tomb wasn't enough, then let's look at the other proofs of, of Christ's resurrection. Number one, women saw the tomb was empty. There's an account of that in all four Gospels that were written at four different times by four different people. Peter and John saw that the tomb was empty as well, so therein is at least one, two, three, four, maybe four or five eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. We know that the guards, once they woke up, <laughs> were told in, in the Gospels that the guards, especially in Matthew, go to the chief priests, probably fearing for their life because a Roman guard at this time, if they mess up, if they do anything wrong, they could be sentenced to death for failing in their, in their job. So they don't go directly to Pilate. They go right to the chief priest saying, hey, the tomb is empty. This is what happened. And it's at this moment that the chief priests pay off these guards to say, take this money and just go and tell other people that the disciples stole his body. And there were... They even assured the guard saying, hey, if this word gets back to Pilate, don't worry, we'll handle Pilate as well and we'll pay him off. 
So you can imagine the amount of money these Pharisees, these religious leaders were willing to pay to create and establish a lie about the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus appears to women outside of the tomb. So the eyewitness account of these women seeing, and we see that in all four gospel accounts. Jesus would then appear to 10 disciples and then 11 disciples, and we read that in Luke, John, and the book of Acts. Jesus would appear to two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, and we see that in, in the accounts of Mark and Luke. We're told in Acts and 1 Corinthians that Jesus would appear to Paul, the apostle, and eventually 500 others at once. So you're telling me 500 people or more were just hallucinating? They just thought they saw something? Eyewitness accounts to Jesus himself after his resurrection is just a fable? But for me, the, the ultimate proof is that these disciples would then go on and fulfill their calling, fulfill their ministry, and live out the rest of their lives proclaiming the truth of Jesus and what they witnessed even to their own deaths. That these disciples would end up being killed, murdered for what they believe in. You're telling me that somebody would lay down their life for a lie? But the effect of, of that truth and, and what these disciples witness has been passed on, excuse me, passed on for generation to generation, 2,000 plus years later, and here we are, speaking the same truth, speaking of the same exact account that they saw. So why sacrifice your life for a lie? Why sacrifice your life for a fairy tale? It just doesn't add up. So what it comes down to, simply put, is... Jesus is alive. He's living now, and we're told in Scripture that after his ascension, he goes back to sit at the right hand of his heavenly Father, preparing a place for us, because there is a plan that he's going to come again. But he is sitting right now, interceding for you, preparing a place for us later on. So what does this mean? And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ now, if Jesus Christ is alive now and you can come to believe in him, then you'll have a brand new meaning of what life is. Jesus calls us to be born again. When he entered the scene, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus calls us to repent. Repentance just simply means turn around. It's not some fancy term. It just simply means turn around from the way that you're going. Your back is on Jesus. Your back is against Jesus. You're, you're, you're setting your eyes on what you want, what you like, what feels good for you, the momentary, whatever it might be. Jesus is saying, repent, turn around and find me. Acts 17, 27 tells us that he's not far from any one of us if we would just open our eyes and feel our way towards him. We need to stop going the way you're going. Hopelessness, despair, no sense of purpose. Again, and everything that's going on in society around us right now with this pandemic, this worldwide virus, not to mention wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and everything else that's happening today right now, a lot of people might have a lot of fear about what's going on. And if you can answer the call, find it in your heart to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, then he can give you hope 
in that despair. He can give you purpose in that fear. You know, a big term that's going around today is faith over fear. And that's absolutely correct. It doesn't mean that fear will be eliminated. It doesn't mean that hurt will be eliminated. It doesn't mean that depression or anxiety or, or whatever else will be automatically eliminated. And you're just going to live this hunky-dory, beautiful life. You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience hurt. But that's why Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He said, take heart. I've overcome the world. And that's what he did Easter morning. That's what he did in resurrecting, rising from the dead, conquering death. We can put our hope in that. You know, Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 11 says this. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is what we receive in Jesus Christ. When you place your faith and trust in him and believe in him, our resurrected king, our king of kings, our Lord of lords, you can have life. You can have hope. You can have joy. You can have purpose despite what's going on. And 2,000 years of recorded history has proven that. Millions upon millions upon millions of people who have done just that can be a witness to that fact. That Jesus changes life. And through him, he gives us life. And he just simply invites you to say, hey, come and see. Come and see all that he can offer. Experience the hope that can only be found in his name. This is what Easter is all about. This is why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. It's all about life. Jesus is alive. He's a risen king. He's our king of kings. And as we've gone through this series that he was our coming king, he entered Jerusalem as our misunderstood king. He was sacrificed and, and became our crucified king. And, and now here on Sunday, he is our risen king. And guess what? He's coming again. He's coming again. I'm going to read one more thing and we're going to bring this to a close and then we're going to come together for a time of communion. But in, in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, it says this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready for his arrival? Are you ready because our king is coming again? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this morning. You watching now, if, if you have not given your life to Christ, then it's okay to let this moment pass by. Don't participate in communion if you don't believe that Jesus is a risen Lord. And that's okay because you're going to have a time right now, maybe in this moment, to give your heart to Jesus. Give your life and submit to his lordship as the risen king. 
Some might even ask, do I even have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And you can answer that in the affirmative or, or not. But now would be an amazing opportunity if you're hearing Jesus knock, if you're hearing that little pull or feeling that pull, that nudge from the Holy Spirit, he's saying, put your trust in me. Believe in me. So you can have life and have new purpose, have new hope for the remainder of your life here on earth. And then when Jesus comes again, be secure to know that you're going to go with him. So let's come before the Lord in prayer. And if you are secure in your faith, praise God. This is a time of celebration. But then just spend this moment examining yourself before the Lord and ask him to forgive you of any sins maybe that you've been committing or have been caught up in and just lay those before his feet, his throne right now. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and, and we just take a moment, Father God. We take a minute and do as, as your word tells us to do, which is to examine our heart before you now, Jesus. So I give these people watching to you now, Lord, and we lift up our hearts and our minds to you right now, Father, and ask for renewal. I'm asking, Lord Jesus, that if there's somebody watching, listening right now or, or will, will watch and listen in the future, and they, they don't have a relationship with you, and they want to do that now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a moment and just pray for you. So as everybody else kind of maintains this mode of prayer and has their eyes closed and heads bowed, if you, if, if you want to respond to Jesus Christ now, if all you need to do is open your eyes and just look at me right now, if you would. Connect eyes with me. And I want, I want to speak to you for a minute and let you know that Jesus loves you. And in this moment right now, giving your life to him, you're just simply saying, I will trust in Jesus. I will follow him and, and then work the rest of my life that he gives me to learn more about him and, and deepen my faith and trust in him and, and fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him. If Jesus is tugging on your heart right now and you want to give your life to him, I'm going to ask you to do something. It might seem a little awkward, but just lift up your hand where you're at. Just lift up your hand right now and say, yes, Jesus, I want to trust in you. I want to believe in you, Jesus, as the risen Savior, as Lord. And for the first time, Father God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I ask, Lord God, that you would come into my life, take up residence in my, in my life, in my mind, in my heart, Father, and, and clean out the junk, the sin. And Lord, I know and believe that in your word, when you sacrifice your life on that cross, you nailed my sins to that cross to be remembered no more. And so, Father, I ask now that you become my Savior, you become my Lord. I give my life to you now, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again so that my name could now be written in the book of life. That my name will be praised and rejoiced and sung in the heavens because when one person comes to salvation, the heavens rejoice. So Father, thank you for saving my life. If you've prayed that prayer for the very first time, this is a beautiful day to do that. This is a beautiful day now that moving forward every year from here on out, every day really, but every year that we celebrate Good Friday and Passion Week and Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday, you can have a moment of celebration for you because of your salvation is now secure in Jesus Christ. Everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Hey, 
I just want to take this opportunity really quick and again say thank you for being with us. Thanks for joining us as, as Eagle Ridge Lake Elsinore, as, as one church in this collective body of churches that are celebrating today around the world. I want to thank you for being a part of it. And I want to give you that opportunity if you want to continue to give back to the Lord through your tithes and your offerings, you have that opportunity to do so. To help us ensure that this ministry moves forward. That when we can come back together again, that we can move forward in faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So to give back to God and show our dependency on God through your gift, your tithe, your offering. We have an opportunity that you can give through our church app if you have that. If you don't have it, you can download that in the, the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and, and set up your offering to give through the app. You can give online through our website, eagleridgele.org. We'll have that information up here on the screen. But giving back to the Lord is simply a way to say, Lord, we trust in you. To give away something that we so highly possess in our culture, our money, our finances, especially today when it seems as if the economy isn't doing so great. Maybe some of you have even been, been laid off, lost a job, or have put on leave temporarily. To still give back to the Lord, say, God, I trust you. And God is going to provide. God is going to bless and honor that gift. So if you feel led to do so, then go ahead and do that online. Or reach out. You can even mail in your, your gift, and, and we'll, we'll show you how to do that. <clears throat> but again, I just want to thank you for, for joining us today. We love you guys. And again, like I said, Friday night, and I'll say it every time until we can come back together and, and hug. <laughs> we miss you. We miss you guys so much. But pray you have a blessed day with your family, a blessed day with your friends, a blessed day celebrating Easter as you continue on. It doesn't end. So now you can gather together as a family and just enjoy each other. Enjoy each other's presence. Eat together. Eat some of those nasty peeps if you like them. <laughs> but have a wonderful day.